Man of the Family by Ralph Moody, Chapter 13, Writing for Mr. Bachelet. Lord, uh, as I read this, I uh, trust that uh, those who listen will enjoy it along with me. And I pray for the kids and grandkids especially, that they would find good books and read good books and, and uh, have their minds set upon things that are good. Um, they'll grow up and mature on this earth doing good work with their hands, laboring well for other people, and glorifying you with uh, their every uh, effort. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Writing for Mr. Bachelet. Okay. Grace worked even harder while Mother was in bed than she had before, and she cooked us just about as good meals. Of course, some of the things she tried, like the butterscotch pie, didn't come out too good, but she made us eat it anyway. And she kept the house shining like a new dime. The only trouble was that she was too bossy. I told her that Mother had never tried to boss Father around, but Grace snapped back. Of course not. She never had to. Father had a lot more sense than you've got. Besides, he wasn't just a little boy. Anybody anybody would have thought I was 7 instead of 11, and that she was 30 instead of 13. A few days after Elizabeth was born, Sheriff McGrath knocked at our back door. He was right at lunchtime. The sheriff didn't shout, but his whisper came out through his mustache like wind blowing into an empty barrel. How's your ma doing, Gracie? How's the new baby? Grace said that they were both doing fine and asked him if he wouldn't come in while she made him a cup of coffee. No, ain't got the time, Sheriff McGrath whispered back, but here's a little something I fetched for your ma. Posies, nice, sweet-smelling ones. Just set them alongside her bed and tell her the sheriff bring them. <clears throat> Sheriff McGrath started to go down the steps. Then he turned back, fumbled in his pocket, and whispered, By George, darn near slipped my mind. Here's a little something for the baby to play with. He fished a package out of his pocket and rattled as he handed it to Grace. Right pretty one, he said. Pink. That's the color for girls, ain't it? Going down, he stepped wide of the treads as if he were afraid he'd make them squeak and disturbed and disturbed mother. August was hot, and right after Elizabeth was born, the grass began to look a little dry. I hadn't cut a spear of hay for winter, and I knew that if I didn't cut it pretty soon, it wouldn't be any good. It worried me. Unless we had plenty of hay in the barn, I was sure Mother would make me take Lady back to Carl Henry's when winter came. The Sunday school picnic grounds, a mile along the west side of the river, belonged to the streetcar company. The best wild hay anywhere around grew on the river's side of the strip. I knew it would be stealing to go in and cut it without asking anybody, and I didn't know who to ask, unless it would be the conductor. He and the motorman always stopped for a smoke at the end of their run, so I waited for them the first morning after I decided to go haying. The conductor said he thought it would be all right, but to go ahead and cut some of it, the big bosses never came out that way. But the motorman didn't think so at all. No, don't you never, never do it. Don't never take nothing off them big corporations. It's the jailhouse you'll be landing in, he told me. Better you go see Mike Mulcahy at the Englewood Barn. Mike's a good lad, and he knows all the bosses. He'll tell you what to do. Of course, I could have ridden Lady over to Englewood and saved a dime, but it seemed to me that Mr. Mulcahy might feel better toward me if I knew I was a streetcar customer. So I climbed on the car and rode over to Englewood. I told Mr. Mulcahy about Lady and duck legs and about being afraid Mother would make me take Lady back to Carl Henry if we had to buy hay for the winter, and then I asked him if I could cut some, uh, cut some out of the picnic grounds. At first, I didn't think I was going to get it. Mr. Mulcahy was a big man. He looked down at me as if I were a pygmy. Divil a bit you 
know about making hay, he said. The best you could do would be leaving a grass hook around for a body to step on and be suing the company. I had to tell him about working for Fred Altland and Hay when we lived on the ranch and that I'd keep the sickle tied to my overalls by a string so I couldn't lose it. After that, he went into the little office, and I watched him through the window while he talked to somebody on the telephone. When he came back, he said it would be all right for me to cut all the hay I wanted, but I'd be doing it at my own risk. Then he leaned over, shook his finger in my face, and told me it wouldn't be safe for me to be cutting hay down there alone. He said I might get cut a leg and bleed to death before anybody found me, or that I might tip a load of hay over on myself and smother. I finally had to promise I'd get somebody to help me and wouldn't go down there alone. He waved at me when I got back on the streetcar for Littleton and called, God bless you, lad. Be careful. Mr. Baxlett was leaning against the hitch rail in front of Monahan's saloon when I got off the car. He saw me and called, Hey, little britches. When I went over, he pushed his hat back and asked, What are you doing to make a dollar these days? Well, I told him, When there isn't any berry picking, I've been working for Mr. Wilkie, but I've got to quit now and put up hay for the winter. Forget it, Mr. Baxlett said. You couldn't put up hay enough to wad a shotgun. Come work for me. I'll pay you a dollar a day, and you could buy good alfalfa hay for the winter. I'd like to, I said, but I can't. If we had to buy hay, Mother might say we could only afford to keep one animal, and it would have to be the cow. Mr. Bachelet grinned and said, how about half days? I still pay you a dollar. County fair starting the 29th. Got a couple of ponies I want to get ready for the races. You could exercise them for me. At a dollar for half days, I could afford to hire Dutch Gunther to help me with the hay. So I asked, Forenoons or afternoons, Mr. Batchelet? Mornings. Crack a dawn, he told me. See you tomorrow at the fairgrounds. Then he went into Monahan's, and I went to tell Dutch I'd pay him 50 cents an afternoon to help me with the hay. I told Grace about the hay, but when I went up to Mother's chamber, I just held Elizabeth on my lap and said, Well, I've got a new job. It might last right up to school time, and it'll pay me a dollar a day. I'll have to go to work early. Mm-hmm, was all Mother said, so of course I had to tell her a little more. It's for Mr. Bachelet, I said. He's a friend of High's, and he chipped in to get me my new saddle. Carl Henry knows him, too. He's a real nice man. He's the one that brings fresh milk cows into Denver to trade with people whose cows have gone dry. Mm-hmm. And what sort of work does Mr. Bachelet want you to do for him? Look how the baby's squeezing my little finger, I said. I had to say something like that because I wasn't ready for Mother to ask me that question. She just said, mm-hmm, again. Well, you know, he always keeps quite a few horses, I told her, and sometimes he doesn't have enough work for them, so they have to be exercised. I didn't ask him, but I suppose there'll be other things he'll want me to do besides exercising horses. With all these cows, he might want me to do a little herding, wouldn't you think? Mother reached over and put her hand on my leg. Son, you know how I feel about your riding strange cow horses. I know how much you like to do it, and I know, too, that you're a pretty good rider for a boy. But you will promise me that you won't try to ride any bucking horses. I promise, Mother, I, told, I said. I'm sure there isn't one bucker in the whole lot. And you don't need to worry about any roundups. There won't be another t- one till Labor Day. I do worry. I can't help it, she said. And it seems to me I've heard something unfavor- some unfavorable comment about Mr. Bachelet. Doesn't he drink quite a little? Well, if he does, I never saw him look the least bit drunk. And you ought to have heard what he said about Mr. Wilkie letting Whiskey to be his boss. He's a lot like High. I'll bring him home with me to see Elizabeth after you get well again. Then you know how nice a man he is. Mother patted my leg a minute or two without saying anything. Then she said, Now you'd better put Elizabeth back in her crib so you can finish your chores. But you will be careful around strange horses, won't you? I was just about as busy as I could be for the next week. 
I had to get up at 4 o'clock to have my chores done in time to get down to the fairgrounds at dawn. Then Dutch and I worked on the hay as late as we could see. Besides the chestnut that LeBeau rode on the 4th of July, Mr. Bachelet had a sorrel and a bay. Every morning through Saturday, he met me at the fairgrounds track, and we'd worked the horses one after another. First, he'd just let me have me lope a horse till it was sweated up in good shape. Then, before I cooled it out, he'd have me race it while he timed us. He never told me what the time was, but he'd tell me whether it was a good or bad. After the first two days, he had me ride the chestnut bareback, and we only raced him a quarter mile. But I always rode the other two with a saddle and raced them clear around the half-mile track. <clears throat> we were always finished by 10 o'clock, and I had all the rest of the day for haying. Saturday morning, there, was a, there were a dozen other horses at the track, and at least that many men standing around with watches in their hands. Mr. Bachelor told me not to push his horses when I ran them. And at 7 o'clock, we put them back in the stable. While we were rubbing the sorrel down, he said, Looks like there might be some excitement around here tomorrow. Better figure on being here full days from now through fair time. Might pick up some pretty good money. I'll spring a fiver for wins. Tomorrow's Sunday, I told him. Mother won't let me work on Sundays. Besides, she doesn't like match races and gambling, and I don't think she'd let me ride if there's going to be betting. You ain't going to be doing no betting, he told me. Be plenty of match races for the fairs over. over. You'll do all right. And with a new mouth to feed, your, you folks could use the money. Figure on full day starting Monday. Well, I said, I have to begin hauling hay Monday, so I can only come in the forenoons. Mr. Bachelor swore a little and asked, how much hay you got? How long, long it'll take you? About three days if I can get started by 10 o'clock Monday morning, I told him. There'll be about 12 big loads for our spring wagon. Better get at it the first thing Monday morning was all Mr. Bachelor said. Then he went off to talk to some men who had come into the stable. All week, Dutch and I had cut hay as fast as we could till 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Then we'd rake up what we'd cut the day before and pile it into shocks. By dark Saturday, we had 50 shocks. Monday morning, we harnessed Lady and, and drove down to the picnic grounds going around by the River Road Bridge. We couldn't see the hayfield until we drove through the cottonwood grove, and then it looked as if all our work was going to be lost. Two big hay racks were standing in, in among our shocks of hay, and four men were pitching into them, um, pitching it onto them. I whacked Lady with the end of the lines, and she jumped and went ahead so quick that Dutch nearly fell out over the tailgate. The ground was pretty rough, but I galloped her right up to the nearest hay rack and yelled, Hey, what in the world do you think you're doing? That's my hay. I didn't know any of the men. The nearest one was the biggest. He poked the tines of his fork into the ground, then leaned his hand against uh, the handle as if it had been a crutch. Then he pushed his hat back on his head, spit tobacco juice, and said, The hell you say? I was so mad that I yelled right back, I do too say, Mr. Mulcahy gave it to us, and we cut it in sours. The man just grinned and said, You ain't little britches, are you? Back sent us over to give you a lift. Said you'd bit off more than you could chew. You kids sure cut a raft of it. Three doggone good loads, and it'll be, it's pretty well cured, too. About all Dutch and I did was to tramp the top of the loads and to push the hay back under the eaves after the men had pitched it up into our barn loft. With four men and two hay racks, the whole job was done by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. As soon as the last fork of hay was in our barn, I rode Lady down to the fairgrounds to thank Mr. Bachelet. By that time, there were 50 or 60 ranchers and cowhands around the track, and the corrals were full of horses. A match race was just starting when I pulled Lady up at the end of the grandstand. The horses weren't very well matched, and a jug-headed gray won by three lengths. When I found Mr. Bachelet, he was standing by the track gate with his watch in his hand. He'd hardly give, he hardly gave me time to thank him for hauling our hay, 
but told me to get his bay out and warm him up behind the stables. Give him a little taste of spurs and get his dander up, he told me. I want you to run him against that grade. Be a close thing. Win, and you won't owe me no thanks for hay hauling. With his putting it that way, I couldn't tell Mr. Bash that I wouldn't ride his horse in the match race, so I put my saddle on the bay and warmed him up. I was nervous with Mr. when Mr. Bachelor came to lead the bay out to the track gate. He noticed that my knee was shaking, and he said, You got nothing to be scared of. Jim Boy's riding the gray. Jim won't do you no dirt. I'm not afraid of that. I told him, but Mother isn't going to like it when she hears about me riding in a match race. Mr. Bachelor grinned and slapped me on the leg. Quit your fretting, he told me. I'll fix that up. Then he walked away toward the judge's stand. I was still nervous when the starter opened the gate, and Jim and I rode through. We just started around toward the quarter-mile post when I heard the call. Match race at a quarter mile, Jim Boyd on Bowles Gray and Freddie Jones on Bachelors Bay. I looked back, and Mr. Bachelor was standing by the man with the megaphone. <clears throat> we didn't win the race. The bay got a poor start, and the quarter mile wasn't long enough for us to catch up. The jug-headed gray was still a nose in front when we passed the finish line, and I hadn't made up to Mr. Bachelor for hauling our hay. There were there were th match races all week. I rode in three or four of them every day, and the megaphone man always called me Freddie Jones. Sometimes I rode for Mr. Bachelet, but for quite a few others, too. They paid me a dollar every time I rode, and when I won, I usually got a $5 gold piece. At first, I thought that being Freddie Jones would be enough to cover me up, but it wasn't. In less than two days, almost everybody in town knew who Freddie Jones was. Tuesday night, when I was milking duck legs, Grace came out to the barn. I pushed my head tight against Duck Leg's flank and kept milking as fast as I could open and close my fist. Gracie stood right at the end of the tie-up with her arms folded across her chest. Well, Freddie Jones, was all she said. <coughs> the milk sort of stuttered into the bucket for a second, and then my hands got shaking, so I had to stop. I didn't lift my head up right, right up. I had, to think, I had to think a little, and Grace didn't say another word except, well... Well, I said, you don't have to be so smart. You're not mother. What business of it, of yours is it? I tried to sound as if I didn't care, but the words didn't come out that way. Grace stuck her nose up in the air and started toward the barn door. All right, she said. If it's mother's business, I'll see she has a chance to handle it. Of course, I couldn't let her go, so I had to show her the money I had stashed away in a marble sack in the corner of the brand bin. You know how much we'll need it next winter, I told her, and we might need it before winter. If mother isn't strong enough to cook when she gets up. It's all good, honest money, but you know as well as I do that Mother would never let me earn it if she found out. I suppose you'll think you're doing something big if you tell her. Why Why can't you mind your own business? I was sorry the minute after I'd said it. I'd been looking down in the brand bin all the time I'd been talking, but when I looked up into Grace's face, there were tears in her eyes. I'm not as mean an old skunk as you think I am, she said, half, she half cried. If you'll keep your mouth shut around home, and if we don't have... Too many pesky old ladies coming to call on mother. I'll see she doesn't find out till the fair's all over. I'd won quite a few races by the end of the week. There wasn't any racing the Saturday afternoon before Labor Day, and Mr. Bashett had told all the men that I couldn't ride on Sunday. Before I went home, he came into the stable well where I was currying the sorrel. He leaned against a stall and said, Had a pretty good week, didn't you? I just grinned and nodded my head. Get a good rest tomorrow, he told me. Monday's roundup day. That's the big one. I want you to ride the chestnut in the bareback quarter mile and the sorrel in the $100 race. We'll win in both. I was thinking, and I didn't say anything for a few minutes. I just kept on currying the sorrel. Then Mr. Bassett asked, what's the matter, little britches? What's biting you, kid? Well, I said, I think Fred Allen's coming in on, on counting on me to ride his bay in the $100 race. 
Mr. Basha shouted, Fred's the one we got to beat. I can't let you do that. I just kept on currying. My throat hurt, and I didn't want to talk. After a couple of minutes, he said, well, well, I think Hi and all the other fellows out by our old ranch are counting on it, too. Fred's been our friend for a long time. He was father's best friend. I didn't look up, so I didn't know Mr. Bachelor had come into the stall till he rumpled up my hair. You're all right, he told me. Someday you'll stick by me that way. Understand, though, I aim to win that race, but I won't put the Lebeau kid against you. You'll ride for me in the bareback? My throat hurt worse than ever. I said, sure, and I'll win if I can. Then Mr. Bachelor rumpled my hair again and went out. I love you. You guys have a great rest of your day.